I started using Pillar Performance about a month ago, and as a skeptic of just about every supplement on the market, I was so impressed by their triple magnesium and the benefits I felt from it, particularly with my sleep and recovery, that I reached out to them to try more of their stuff. And once again, for someone who never uses supplements, I was such a fan. And because of that faith I have in the products from using them and the benefit I truly believe people will get from using them, I'm happy to announce that this episode of How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Leaders in sports micronutrition, Pillar are changing the way micros are viewed when it comes to optimal performance. High strength and informed sports certified, Pillar's range supports optimal recovery, elevates energy, boosts immunity, and relieves inflammation. Head to pillarperformance.shop to learn more. And while you're there, use my code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order. And it supports the show. So it's a win-win. Welcome back to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today I'm joined by newly crowned Ironman world champion, Chelsea Sodaro, and her coach, and now regular guest on How They Train, Dr. Dan Plews. I don't think it's unfair to say that no one was really picking or talking about Chelsea as their favourite to win the race in the lead-up. All the talk was about the usuals, Daniela Reef, Lucy Charles Barclay, Arne Haug, Laura Phillip, and you can't really blame people. But not only did Chelsea win... She won by eight minutes to second and third, and fourth place was 16 minutes back. It was a performance that was so dominant that makes you think, why didn't more people see this coming? And so today, I can't wait to hear all about the race from Chelsea and Dan's perspectives, and then about the training and the lead-up that made it possible. Chelsea, I, I guess I'll start with you. You're the person that everyone wants to hear from here. Uh, and, and firstly, congratulations. Like, I said it on my Instagram story the other day. That was fucking dominant and insane, and I was mind blown. And I'm I'm really happy for you. Um, for, so yeah, truly special. Um, and I'm curious. Did you think that when you were standing on the swim start line on race morning that that you were capable of that, or that you were going to have that performance on that day? Well, thanks so much for having me, Jack. It's really fun to be here. I've listened to the pod, and I'm a fan. Um, you know, I was so nervous during race week. I told Dan this after the fact, actually, because I didn't want to freak him out, but I was having trouble eating and digesting my food. I just had this feeling that either it was going to be something really special or I was totally going to blow up and it was going to be a disaster. But we had really nailed the training the last month leading into Kona and Dan was writing me these sessions that I would look at and be totally afraid of, but he would convince me to, to give them a go. And I hit every single one of them. So I think what would maybe surprise people is that I just executed our plan. Like if, if you look at the data of, you know, the individual swim bike run and how I executed those, it was exactly what I was prepared to do. I didn't do anything out of my mind. I did exactly what I trained to do and I executed the race like Dan guided me to. And so, well, I think that maybe the win is surprising. The actual performance is not that surprising to us. And Dan, I'll, I'll ask you like a similar question, I guess. And we obviously did an episode in the the week before the race in the build up, and you kept like 
bringing up Chelsea is like I maybe was ignorantly not bringing her up enough because I didn't want to just talk about your athletes all the time. And I personally thought like Chelsea can get on the podium, but surely she can't beat Daniela Reef. No one can beat Daniela Reef if she's been training the the way that she was in the lead up to St. George. And, and then I listened back to your podcast during the week um, just because I'm like, I just remember Dan telling me exactly how this was going to play out and I'm watching it play out like this. Like I turned to my girlfriend who I was watching it with. I'm like, Dan just said this is exactly how this was going to go and this is exactly what they prepared for. So, I mean, when you were talking to me then and in the lead up, did you did you think that Chelsea was capable of winning like that or did you just think that she was capable of having that performance and and that might put her somewhere near the top? Yeah, I, I, I knew that she was capable. I thought that, I mean, I think we both talked before and we decided that the podium would be amazing, you know, and I think that would be, that was kind of our, our goal. And I, and I think it's realistic to say that we didn't really think that the win was going to, was going to come out. But I, I mean, I, I think during the week, I started thinking about it for some reason, <laughs> you know, like earlier in the week before the race, I, I did start thinking about it more and more. And I was just thinking about, you know, how the training's gone. And at the end of the day it was, you know, we knew we knew what power she was capable of holding on the bike. We've done it a thousand times in training. So it was a, a question of what that power would bring. And um, you did a lot of work on Chelsea's position, a lot of work on aerodynamics, um, you know, and, and when, and I, and I think that I knew that if she was close enough, um, I was confident that she would get a run between a 250 and a 255. And I told Chelsea that like earlier in the week, I said, that's, you know, I think that's what you could do. That's what the pacing was built around. And um, and as long as if she was close enough off the bike, then I knew it could go. And um, and lo and behold, like she had the most, you know, you know, it was a possibly a dream swim. I think before the race, me and Chelsea talked about we went through three scenarios. We went through the ideal scenario, like best case and um, best case swim, best case bike, best case run. You know, then what's a likely scenario and then like the worst case scenario, just to try and build some you know, ideas in Chelsea's head of what she's going to do in different situations. And, you know, she, she started off with the best case scenario swim. And, um, and that, I think that was really helpful because it made, it gave her a little bit more of a commanding position, um, you know, and then sticking with the numbers on the bike in coming off with not very much of a deficit. I did say to my wife, when, when um, Chelsea got off the bike, I said, um, Chelsea's going to win this. Um, but you know, like Kate told me to shut up because I was shooting it at the time. <laughs> but, yeah. So um, so yeah, I think um I think yes and no, really. And I guess like um I guess what I really want to hear about Chelsea is I just want to hear about the race from your perspective. Like it's it's one thing to sit back and watch the race unfold and think you know what's happening, but I mean, can you give us like a race debrief, maybe in the same way that that you would if you and Dan were, were debriefing the race uh, after the fact. Like, can you can you take me through from from race morning through to to when you cross the finish line and and just tell me all about the day from your perspective? Sure. Yeah. So I we had planned to leave the, our hotel at five, maybe, and like right before we went to bed, I told my husband, I think we should leave a couple minutes earlier, and we ended up leaving at four forty five, and we left way too late. We did not anticipate, we stayed about half a mile away from the uh, the pier and we didn't anticipate how crazy it would be getting to the start. So already walking to the start, it's a ton of people, it's super crowded, it's hard to find where we need to go. So I'm already like stressed out, like sweating at 5.30 in the morning or whatever. 
um, and had kind of a shortened warm up. I shouldn't be telling Dan these things. I'm a little bit of a hot. <laughs> I'm gonna get scolded after this. Um, hot. You were a hot message you like to say, which is which is often what we um, that term comes out quite a lot with Chelsea. To be honest, <laughs> I was a little bit of a hot mess race morning, um, but you know, one really cool thing about um, my experience with Ironman and some of these other races as I like have gotten to know the photographers and media teams so well that I feel like I have all of these friends around at the beginning of races and I'm getting in the water and I see uh, Nils Nilsson who has worked with a ton of programs. He's amazing. And I was just like smiling and happy to be happy to be seeing my friends and I get in the water and I don't know. I just felt like a real sense of peace swimming to the start line. And I think that honestly, that mentality and that mental place that I was in from the start paid off big time in the race. But I, I've told Dan this before, like, I actually have a really good start and swim, even though I don't always end up where I want to be. My first 100 meters is pretty strong. And so I got out well and found myself on some feet and realized that there weren't a whole lot of people ahead of me. And I noticed that Haley Chura is part of the group that I'm in and Sarah True is swimming right next to me. And I see Lisa Norton's cap. So I think this is a really nice little spot. This is a really nice little spot that I find myself in and um, settled into the group. And honestly, it was the most fun I have ever had during a swim. Like on the way out, I look, I breathe to my right and I look over and I see a rainbow. Like I noticed the rainbow during, <laughs> during the swim, which is crazy. And I just tell myself, enjoy having a really nice swim with your girlfriends. This is great. And I wanted to be really um, intentional about the turnaround point because that's where I got dropped at the Collins cup was at the turnaround. So I kind of prepared myself to have, have to put in a surge um, at that stage, but I just tried to stay really present, swim on the feet, expend as little energy as possible, kick as little as possible. That's something that I've been working on with, um, Dan's friend and kind of my, um, adopted swim coach, Paul Newsom, and was really stoked when I got out of the water with, with some of these ladies who are strong cyclists. I thought this is exactly where I need to be. When I got onto my bike, I think I was just with sky mensch, but some of the ladies were already a bit off the road and, and sky put in a big surge. And so I had a, there was a gap actually between me and that pack of Lisa Jocelyn, Sky joined them. I'm trying to think of who else. Who else? I think I think those are the main players. And actually, the first that first 10k of the bike was most miserable part of my race. That's the one time during the race that I thought about dropping out. That I thought that <laughs> it might not be my day. You know, we all have we all have those moments. Actually, I think a majority of athletes like triathletes especially in these long events like we all have those moments where we we think we should drop out or we think it's going to be you know a bad day so um anyway i had one of those moments during the first 10k i'm totally drilling in my heart rate is spiked and i just can't quite latch onto the group but when we were climbing up polani um cat matthew's husband actually said to me like chelsea they're right there like you just need to get to the group and so I made one more commitment to catch them. And I, I caught him a couple K down the queen K and 
and settled in there on the back. What kind of um, power did you have to push in that first 10K to, to get onto the back of that little group? Don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we're probably going to keep, we're probably going to keep our, um, our data to ourselves for now. Um, but, but not, I was not pushing my Ironman power. Let's just say that. Real Norwegian, keep it a secret from us. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any secrets though. We all, I mean, everyone knows what it takes. I mean, I think it's all, you know, 3.6 watts per kilo for females. I think that's, and I mean, I've I've talked about that a thousand times before and, um, and yeah, so obviously Chelsea would have been above that. I would assume that it would have been closer to four watts per kilo around that stage um that's what i would predict but don't forget chelsea's a lot lighter than um she's very light right so if you actually look at the data like um like if you compare chelsea to Anne Haugen and, and lucy like they you know they were um they were making time and nearly all the way out to Polani, but as soon as it started going sorry all the way out to harvey the bottom of the climb but as soon as it started going uphill um chelsea equaled them and then pretty much equaled them all the way back so, um, you know, she, she, she probably had, it was in her favour that the Polani Hill came probably at the right time to, because um, then watts per kilo become a bit more important rather than frontal resistance versus um, watts, you know. And then Chelsea, once you got onto that group, can you um, keep walking us through the, the rest of the ride? Yeah, I really enjoyed the ride up to Javi. When I did Hamburg earlier this summer, it was a total time trial effort, like, I led the swim. I did the whole bike by myself and I did the whole marathon by myself. So I, I just was happy to, I was happy to be riding with other women and competing. I was super nervous about drafting. So I was really intentional about staying, you know, a few meters back from the draft zone. So that meant that I like had to sit up a bunch of times or like even put on the brakes a few times. Um, as we saw, you know, penalties definitely like played a factor played a factor in the race, but, um, things started to break apart. There were a few other women with us. We caught a few women, but when we started going up Javi, um, the group was Lisa, Jocelyn, Sky, and me. And I just felt, I felt really good. Dan had me do a session there, uh, probably a month before the race. I went to Kona to train before the race. And, and I did a, a session where I did Javi a couple of times. And I got my ass kicked. I was actually really pissed. Um, but I felt great on race day, which is what, count, which is what counts. Um, towards the end of the climb, a gap started to form between Sky and those front two women. And I put in a big surge to pass her because I didn't want to get gapped. And I couldn't quite catch them. And at the turn, Sky said to me, they both have penalties. And so that's why they had put in the surge so that they could, they could get to the like tent as fast as possible. Um, so going down Javi, I found myself with just sky and, um, she was a little nervous going on the descent. Um, and I thought like, just take a turn on the front and ride your power standard control and, I, yeah, I made the pass at that point. So I think that probably put me in fourth place at that stage. Yeah. And then like at around from memory, like around 125, 130 K, uh, Daniela reef came up to you guys, didn't she? And it was like, 
it was like Fenella uh, and Lucy were off the front, and then like you, you and you and Sky were like two thirty back, and 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 Daniela came up to you. Can you can you talk to me about what you were thinking when when Daniela made that catch and and came into your group, and and what happened from then on in? I really wasn't emotionally affected by that actually, which sort of surprises me. I didn't. Th- I just thought I, for a minute I was like maybe if I'm within myself, I'll, I'll try to ride with her, but she was hammering it. And I just thought like, that is not my game to play. And yeah, it was around 130 K. So that's 50 K left. I was like, how much time can she really put into me in 50 K? Yeah. And I had that thought watching it as well. And I'm curious to get your take on this, Dan, when you were watching it and you saw Daniela come around, did you think, Oh, she, this is too late and she's not going to be able to get enough time to get away from, from Chelsea and, and Anne or, and she might not even get Lucy at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think I was quite pleased at how late she, um, Daniela had caught, but I mean, at that point I was more thinking, um, what's Chelsea going to do? Because we talked about, we talked about this the day before or because we knew it was going to happen. Um, but we, and, and we both decided that, you know, that's not the game that Chelsea has to play, right? We knew that we were banking on her doing a good run. So um, I was I was more interested to see if, um, you know, competitive nature of, Chel- of Chelsea would take over because she's highly competitive that she'd then try and follow her. Um, and I was just pleased that she didn't, to be honest. It was the best, um, a very wise decision, you know? I think that my uh, inexperience in some ways is beneficial because I'm still really intimidated by the Ironman distance. Like we've only done one, well now two, but I I think that there's so much unknown. There's so much time for things to go wrong. So I don't feel like I'm at a place yet where I can take big risks. Like I just don't know how those will pan out. So in a weird way, um, not having a whole lot of experience doing this, I think helped me. And then like, I think at about 160K was when Daniela hit the front and, and got up to, to Lucy and Fenella. And, and at that stage, it was, um, I think you were with Lisa Norton at that stage when she made that catch from memory. And it was, it was just you and you and Lisa at that point, because you said you guys had put time into sky over that, that sort of like 40K stretch and largely on like the, the downhill sections by the look of it, it was quite hard to tell with the, the TV cameras though, to be honest. Um, and and what were you thinking at that point when you like, so you've got 20K left in in the ride, you're sort of um, three minutes back, which like really is, I'm curious whether whether that would have been like um, even better than than your like best case scenario that you put in, like that you, you guys talked about in the lead up on the bike, because I looked at that and thought like that was at about 160K was when I had that first moment where I'm like, oh, holy shit. Chelsea Sodaro is a real chance to win this. And I went straight and I actually opened my messages. I'm like, I said to Dan, I, like, that was when I sent the me- my first message to Dan about like, oh, Chelsea's like, she's on here. Um, so yeah, what, what was going through your head at that point in the race? Yeah, around 40K left in the bike, I looked behind me and I realized that Sky and Jocelyn aren't there with me anymore. And that surprised me. And then, you know, Lisa didn't catch me till a couple K to go like right before we turned off the king, the queen K. And again, I just wasn't that affected, affected by it. I I thought I had a really, uh, you know, Lisa's an incredible athlete, but 
the bike is really her forte. I thought she had to work really hard to catch me after her penalty. Um, so I wasn't really like affected by her being there. And then I was ready to get off my bike. Honestly, at that point, I think like anyone, anyone doing Ironman, you're on your bike for four plus hours and you're just kind of over it the last 20 or if you're having a good day, the last 20 K you're kind of over it. So I was just ready to get off my bike and, and do something different. And then like, I think something that was um, quite interesting for me to watch was, was the start of the run. So I like Anne Hag, everyone was sort of talking about her early in the run. And, and I know that cause I was getting a lot of messages about, Oh, this is Anne's race to lose now. Like Anne's going to win. How much is Anne going to win by? Because she was, you know, only five minutes down on, on the front of the race and, and I think everyone assumed she was going to run six, seven, eight minutes faster than everyone else out on that course, like like she has done in the past. But then, like we started, there wasn't the camera wasn't necessarily on you all the time to start Chelsea, but the splits were there, and everyone sort of watches it by like they have the Ironman tracker app on one hand, and they're watching the coverage on the other hand, and and your splits were just consistently like you know twenty seconds per mile faster than everyone, including Anne, and and then like as it played out, sort of like you know, 3K in, 5K in, people sort of started started talking about you and, and then you moved up into third at, at about the 5K mark and and it was very clear you were the fastest fastest lady out on course and not just by a little bit, by like a substantial amount. So what were you thinking at, at the start of the run and, and how did that play out from your perspective? Yeah, you know, we had a really detailed plan about how I was going to execute each 10K of the run and... I went out a little bit hot. No, not, not, not too much though. It was only, only four seconds faster per K than we planned. The average, the average was a little, yeah, the average not the too off. But my first couple Ks were like 20 seconds faster per K. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there's so much energy on Elite E Drive, which I didn't anticipate. It's so fun. And I saw so many people that I knew the whole, that whole 10k stretch is lined with fans. It's incredible. It's like the closest we'll get in our sport to like a major, you know, sporting event, like a major sporting event, that, that kind of like fandom and excitement. And so I was just having a total blast and also trying to get myself to slow down. I saw my husband a couple of times and he was like, just relax. You need to relax. And then I saw, um, uh, a very dear friend and and mechanic that I've worked with in the past. And he, he told me patience and confidence, patience and confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he was like encouraging me to take my time through the aid stations and relax into it. And, um, I wasn't actually that far off though, what we had planned for that first 10 K. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I've done a lot of number crunching with the runs in Kona and, like there's a very specific way you have to play that run and you actually, you want to go, you want to know what you're aiming for and you want to go a little bit faster in the first 10K, 100%. If you you don't want to um, think you get a negative split that run, you need to, if you want to do a good run there, you want to go out a little bit faster and then, um, and then that, but not too much faster because if you go out too fast, you'll overheat and that'll be the end of end of it. So that's why I was so, we were both very specific over the, the, the pacing of, of, you know, what to do in that, in that first 10 K. And I think, you know, the fact that Chelsea said, 
if you're in a position where you're running quick and you're having to slow down, you know you have a very good leg day. You know, you, you know, you, you know you have good run legs on that day. So that's, I mean, I always think that's an awesome, an awesome position to be in when you're like, oops, sorry, that was too fast. You know, because you you're trying to manage it, you're trying to feel it. So if you're if that's what's coming out, you know that that's always really good. It's one of the best things I look at when when my athletes are tapering. I'll often look at some of the sessions that they're doing in the week before, and if I say, okay, run this at run this at 340 and then it's like oh sorry i ran it at 330 oh, i didn't mean to you know i think they're really positive things and um and it's the exact same thing come on race day and when you were watching at that like at that point dan like the first 5 10k in the run did you did you realize at that point that that chelsea was going to win and like how do you watch that as a as a coach are you are you thinking about like all the possible outcomes are you thinking like, Oh, Anne could do this. Daniela could do this. Lucy could do this, et cetera. Or are you just, are you just sitting back as a fan at that point? Like how is that for you watching? I'm pretty nerve wracking. I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a total hot mess um, that entire day. <laughs> it was, it was unbelievable. I think as a coach, it's worse. It's, I mean, I don't think I get quite as nervous as Chelsea would be for the start, but I think as an athlete, you know, once you start racing, your nerves are gone, right? You don't have any nerves anymore as soon as you start. But as a as a coach, you actually you feel nervous for the entire eight and a half hours. Well, you know, um, well for, for nearly eight and a half hours. But I went when Chelsea got off the bike and I saw the gap to Daniela and Lucy. I was like, yeah, I, I was confident that she would catch that she would catch them because you know they were they were never going to run faster than three hours really. Um, very unlikely to maybe maybe a little bit faster and, and I was confident that Chelsea was going to run between 250 and 255 um, and I did say at the time that Chelsea's going to win it but I think like everyone my main concern was um, Anna, Anna Haug because um, yeah it's obviously big pedigree of running and, and we just didn't just didn't know what was going to happen to Chelsea in the last 10k as well so I wasn't like really really like celebrating until the right turn was taken to run down Polani. And then I was like, okay, now I can really, then I was completely relaxed, you know, I knew it was going to happen. So, um, um, but I think a little bit of superstition, you know, you don't want to count your chickens until the hatch, do you? And then Chelsea, throughout the run, can you just talk to me about what played out over the course of that marathon for you? Sure. Yeah. I, I think the reason I had such a successful day is because I was so present and I really took it one K at a time. And I did not allow myself to consider winning or what that would feel like or mean until I made that right turn on Polani. And even when I made that right turn on Polani, I, I wanted to slow down actually, because I, you know, I was tired and I thought I could enjoyed a little bit more, but it just didn't feel good to slow down. Like sometimes when your legs are, you know, hurting like that, it doesn't feel better to be, to run slower because your running economy is worse and your stride is worse. So anyway, um, I think it's just such a good lesson for me moving forward. Honestly, like that is what I take. I take so much from this race is that my mental game was on, was really on point. Um, I did a big tempo run on the Queen K probably three weeks out, Dan, from the race. A bit more, yeah. Three or four, I think it's four weeks, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. And um, I totally nailed it. And it, it was really, really hard, <laughs> that tempo run that Dan had me do. 
Chelsea said she couldn't do it before, but then yeah. <laughs> you you guys you should know like how many times in the last 18 months I have said that I can't do a workout and then Dan talks me into doing um said workout and sometimes I fail it. But recently I have been surprising myself and I've been able to get them done. But um it just goes to show like especially with this whole postpartum journey, it just takes time and you have to keep on showing up. Like perfectionism is not your friend in endurance sports. Sometimes you just have to like give it a go and, and see what happens. But, um, I, I feel this is super cheesy, but I feel like the Island loves me, <laughs> like, especially on the, that run. Like I, I feel, felt like I had a tailwind for the whole run. Mm. I kept on looking at the winds and waiting for, you know, the wind to hit me in the face, but it just never happened. And it was kind of similar that day that I did the tempo run too. I just, I never felt like I had a headwind, which doesn't make sense because it's super windy. I think it's, um, I actually think Bella, my daughter is a good luck charm for people who go well in Hawaii. Yeah. Her middle name's Kyla. We, you know, she was born the, so the story behind Bella, she was born the day of the race because I missed the race in 2017. She was born actually the day off. So we gave her a Hawaiian middle name. And from that day on, only luck has fallen from in Hawaii so far. So she's got a, her middle name's Kailani. So we named, we give it a Hawaiian middle name. So maybe. We have the good juju on our side. We, get, we have the good vibes. Yeah. We got to keep them. It's, I was saying to Chelsea, like around the race, like because like in New Zealand, there's a lot of similarities between the Hawaiian culture and the Maori culture. And I was, you know, it's very spiritual and, you know, looking, talking about the mana in the bowl and stuff. And I'm like, Chelsea, do not put anything in that bowl, you know, because <laughs> so much superstition around, um, around it all. And uh, I mean, I'm not religious at all, but there's something about it that I, I mean, I do not put anything. I've, I mean, the, from the bowl that I won when I, um, in 2018, I've never put anything in there. And there's some funny, so just speak, speak to Burks about it. He's got some funny stories of, um, where when uh, when people have put the bowls um, stuff in the bowl and like people get bad luck from it so you put it like, don't put anything in that bowl you know we like we uh, you know launched my lays into the ocean after yeah. the race we um i texted my dad actually you know we got the bowls at the award ceremony and i went out afterwards to enjoy some adult beverages and i text he took my bowl home and i was like dad you need to make sure that nothing goes in the bowl. So <laughs> you see, it's a, you see, we, we're running a very scientific program here, obviously. <laughs> That's what exactly. The, the PhD, the PhD that I got is really helping. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was just like <laughs> laughing about you. Like, keep that data secret. Don't tell it. It's yeah. all about not putting anything in the bowl. Exactly. <laughs> take as many, many lactates as you like. But I saw a photograph of Gustav putting something in his bowl after the race. Yeah. Over the and I was like, uh oh. You can't win next year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, um, there's like there's this thing that happens in in the female race at, at Kona so often. Like the the way the race played out for Chelsea isn't a very common thing throughout history. Like um where the like Chelsea takes the lead at 12 Ks in. She didn't have to do this long drawn out chase where, where she catches a, an Uber biker deep into the marathon. And, and from 12 K in till, till the end of the marathon, it was like, it was almost boring how dominant and how easy it looked like it was happening. Like it was like, it, I, I think about a K after Chelsea took the lead. I was like, 
oh, this is just done. Like there's nothing else happening. And, and that just got more and more and more evident as, as the run went. Like if that run had been for another 10K, like Chelsea just would have won by an extra five or six minutes. That's that's just how the day was was unfolding. And what was that like, Chelsea? Like being at the front for 30K by yourself and being the fastest runner out on course by like literally almost 10 minutes with with no one making up time to you, like never having to run like, well, to us from the outside in, never seeming to have to having to run scared. Like you could have held back so much and, and, and you still would have, you still would have won by minutes. Like wh- what was that whole experience like? Like you must've known that you, you had it won pretty early. No, I didn't. I have a lot of respect for my competition and a lot of respect for Kona and the conditions there. And so I really didn't count my chickens before they, they hatched. I thought that at any moment I could start overheating or my stomach could go bad or I could get a cramp or something could go wrong. So I, I really, I took it one aid station at a time. I I'm sure people noticed, or I know that people noticed how much time I was spending in the aid station. And I think that's where my lead helped me is that I had that time to invest in, in the aid stations and really taking care of myself and staying cool. I'm not the first person who's, who's done that. In fact, um, you know, I know Jan spends, Jan Ferdino spends a lot of time in the aid station. So I really invested in, in taking care of myself, staying on top of my hydration and nutrition. I, when I turned left to run into the energy lab, I thought, um, I haven't done as much training down there. Like I run in the energy lab, but I, that's not where I did my big sessions. And so I really stayed focused on running well there. Um, I knew that I would see Anna and Lucy when we made the turnaround at the end of the energy lab, like I would see that we would cross paths. And I told myself like, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? As much as you like. I swear all the time. I was like, Chelsea, you need to look fucking awesome when mm-hmm. you cross paths with them. Like look like the most beautiful runner in the entire world. As soon as you go by them, you can get back to whatever it is that you're doing. <laughs> but like for those few seconds, you need to look like, God's gift to the world, like make yourself look amazing. Um, so, so I, we crossed paths. The one time that I really was worried about overheating is when I was running up out of the energy lab. Um, I was still maintaining my pace, like my same pace that I was running on the flats and I took a deep breath and kind of settled down a little bit, um, so that I wouldn't overdo it. But When I got out of the energy lab, I heard that my lead had grown even more. And I was nervous that I would get out of there and hear that Anea was like only two and a half minutes back or something like that. But in fact, it had grown to five and a half minutes or something. And and I kept on getting updates that um, it was it was growing even more. But I've run that last 10K from the top of the energy lab to Polani so many times and I run it hard And I just told myself, like, you have done this, you have prepared for this, like, this isn't as hard as that tempo run that Dan had you do a few weeks ago. And um, yeah, still invested in the aid stations and really didn't think that I had it in the bag until I got to the top of Polani. I think there were some, there's some critical points, right? And I think like, I remember I was one of my one of my coaches, Aaron Geiser, who's an Enduro IQ coach. He was he was on the island, so I was kind of messaging him quite a lot and trying to get him to say a few things to Chelsea along the way. Um, 
And, you know, one of the things that I wanted, I said, oh, are you near the energy lab? Because my, I knew that running out of the energy lab is the place where everyone overheats because you it's uphill, you're metabolic. So you have more metabolic heat production. You're running slower. You get a lot, you know, obviously get a lot hotter running up there. Um, but then I also knew that, like, we have done, how many 8K runs of the bike do you think we've done in our time together? About so many 8K runs of the bike. So I just thought, you know, if if Chelsea gets the 8K to go and she's, she, you know, she'll she'll kind of close it out because, I mean, it's it's just so mental, right? You get to 8K and you're like, man, I've done this a thousand times. It's only 8K. Um, so I thought I, I was kind of confident. That did, when, when it was 8K to go, my confidence certainly built. And another thing, um, just looking at the data, and the main place where Chelsea was making up time on everyone else was actually running downhill. So she, you like the when Chelsea just mentioned that um, her gap had grown coming out of the energy lab. Most of that was done on the run down the hill to the energy lab, and um, and for that to happen immediately means that you've got very good conditioning. Your legs and muscle damage is low because if you can still run downhill very fast and the fluid and you're very fluid and you're running. And that's where you get making up time. You know that you're in a in a very good spot to um you know to not to not cramp or not get you know too sore in the quads because that was one of my concerns because Chelsea got so much quad pain at the end of Hamburg that was the thing that was slowing her down the most and I was um, hoping that didn't come back and thankfully it didn't so yeah but I think that we really were intentional about preparing for that and I would say maybe I failed or didn't finish 50% of my workouts going into Hamburg where I like really nailed them all in our, in our big block for Kona. Um, I also like have worked with a strength coach a bit on some quad conditioning. And and we also did, um, we also did like tempo running with undulations as well to try and, you know, get better at running because we, we actually, we, I think that, I mean, we've tried to, we have tried to do that session a lot of times which was one reason or another that was the first time that was the first time we'd actually done it I think we've done it like maybe once before but we always would miss it for some reason because mm-hmm. you weren't confident or there was some there was some reason and I think that was um finally we, we got there as well and that makes huge difference for back end of an Ironman like if you there's things that you know there's determinants of success and things that make you you know things that slow you down right and I think one of the things is um basically running out of energy running out of carbohydrates is a major one that most people happens to a lot of people happens to probably I say 90% of the people once you've covered your energy balance um another thing that really is a problem is um muscle damage and that you know just the basic pain in your quads and and you know so I think we had really solved and the energy balance problem with Chelsea because we've done a lot, a lot of work on like macronutrient manipulation to get a fat oxidation up. And then also, um, and so then, you know, this kind of last bit with the assessing the, you know, conditioning the quads was a big, was also, was, was another big factor that I think we, um, you know, was the, the big difference between Hamburg and, um, and Kona. With that tempo run that you guys have, have talked about a bit, what actually was that? And like, when you say you'd, you'd like sort of tried to, to get to that, that session a few times and it hadn't happened was it like yeah what was the what was the significance or the importance of of this exact session well I think I you know I have struggled with my like health especially my pelvic health since having my daughter and so I've been nervous to do any sort of hard downhill running 
And that, you know, last month before Kona, I finally felt like resilient enough to be doing all these sessions. Maybe I could have done them earlier, but like it was the first time mentally where I was like, I know that I will stay in one piece. I can stay in one piece if I do these. But I think Dan, it was maybe, was it 15K or 20K? 15. 15K. But it was like a 20. It was 25K. It was 25K all up. It was 5K warm up, 15K tempo, 5K cool down. Yeah. Yeah. Just a a light morning run. (laughs) A light morning run. But it was, I did it. I live in, um, well, my parents live in Davis, California. And I came down from the mountains to train here for a couple of weeks uh, before Kona. And I did it. There's an arboretum here that's really undulating. Um, and the idea is that you kind of keep your Ironman pace, right? Yeah. So the idea is you, you run it, you run it, um, Ironman pace, but it's closer to, um, but because it's hilly, it's closer to 70.3 heart rate is kind of the, the aim. Yeah. So just under your, 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 your VT2, your anaerobic threshold heart rate. So, um, you have to be very specific over the type of hill, but I just find it's, very good session and a very good predictor of performance as well so um yeah that's what i think like you know i said this to chelsea after after hamburg is that you know i always think there's there's aspects of a athlete's career right you you know you the train there's there's this like train to train phase and there's the train to compete and we were stuck in this train to train phase for uh, quite a long time because we were just trying to plan things we would adjust things all the time we'd have to take more recovery than i would have liked to just because you know just because of the you know um post giving you know after sky was born we were just having to adjust things a lot more and it wasn't really until the last the last month month and a half maybe two months that everything came together and we were actually doing all the sessions again yeah i think i think that we only really the last couple of months where we actually were starting to train to compete you know and i think that was um that was a big difference. I mean, there was a specific, the way we were do things is we are kind of focused a bit more cycling all year round. And then before the race, we kind of switched things up to just snap the running up a little bit. And um, Chelsea did this one run week, which was three weeks out, I think. It was like, it was when you did the, the three Ks and the, the tempo and the, the long run with, and like, yeah. and Chelsea, and, uh, and I knew this week was like, I said to her, this is like, just look at it. It's a there was so much good running in this week. If we if, if we or you, not me, because I'm not doing any of it, if you get through this week, it's gonna be game on. And um I think every session was nailed, which was um yeah, which was which I thought which I knew was that's when I knew that a two fifty to two fifty five was, you know, a definite. I um I was watching the race and I think I said this to you, Dan. It's like it, well, in my mind, like I think everyone knows that Chelsea can run and that Chelsea is like a runner. And I said, I said that to you, or I spoke about this with you in the podcast we did in the lead up, Dan, I I think, I think it was in the one we did in the lead up. It might've been in the one before. And and I, you sort of spoke about how um, like athletes can be good at a sport if they love it. So like, if you love, if you just naturally love to run and like, you're really excited to, to go and like do your runs every, every week or whatever that, that you'll be a good runner in a race, but like, you know, the, like say people who aren't good swimmers and they don't enjoy swimming, it's really hard to get good at swimming. Like it's not what they wake up and want to do. Whereas like those people who grew up swimming, like they just love going and doing their swims. And like, that's that to me is like how Chelsea's always came across, like um, a great runner, a real natural runner. It seems like 
Chelsea, I'm, I'm speaking for you here. It seems like you'd love running. But what I was blown away by and what really caught my attention during the race was was the other aspects of it, particularly your bike. Like I was watching you on the bike and I don't know, this might even seem offensive in a way, but it's it's meant as, a, as nothing but a compliment. I was like, is this Chelsea Sodaro? Like you just looked like, you just looked so strong and like composed and in control and 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 like honestly looked like one of the the best cyclists in the race um and and like i wasn't i wasn't shocked by what you did in the marathon i was sort of more like she's set up this what race and and won this race on the bike like how do you guys think about that you know we really committed to my bike since we actually since we started working together we really talked about how i would need to improve my bike and we put a lot i mean we did a lot of training to improve my you know ftp and um, you know, like physical fit, like my fitness on the bike, but we also made a huge investment of time and, um, and, and money even on my aerodynamics this year. Um, I work with Ivan O'Gorman, who's a bike fitter based out of Boulder. And then DT Swiss also helped me get into the wind tunnel with Swissside, uh, right before Hamburg. And so you know, the game has changed, <laughs> the game has changed in triathlon. Like you cannot, you have to do these things. If you want to be competitive, like all the top women and men, their aerodynamics are, are dialed. And so we made a big investment of making sure that my CDA was at a super competitive level. I think, um, also is there's a, I mean, through the season, I think there was two big changes is one is, so at the start of the year, well, I saw some photos of Chelsea on a bike and, you know, the position was, not very good. So like, you know, Oceanside, um, Challenge Miami, all those races, you know, the position was really, really terrible. Um, so it was quite obvious. And we, you know, we were looking and there's some races we were looking at the power and like how how, you know, we knew the power of other people as well. And we're like things just didn't add up. So we knew there was a and I did some calculations online just trying to, you know, you there's there's good calculators that you can use to kind of estimate what the cda is based on the rider's weight and based on the what we know their power is and and i said to chelsea i reckon your your cda is way off and i, I can't remember what the number i came up with but i came up with a number that was not very good and um so i think it was really obvious to do that but i think another big changing factor is that we were also having this experience where the numbers in training were really good and chelsea was doing things on the bike in training that were better than ever and then we get into racing and then there was no power there and just no legs coming off the um, getting onto the bike out of the swim. And then we um, Chelsea went and saw Paul Newsom, who's a good friend of mine, who's the founder of Swim Smooth, now got a company called Swim Common, who he's a real I mean, I mean he's a real technique expert. And I think I think that's one of the things as a coach is that you, ha- you can't be an expert in everything. And though, you know, I'm Chelsea's coach. We have a great team of people who are way more knowledgeable than I am in certain things. So swim is way more knowledgeable in swim technique. Ivan's way more knowledgeable in, in, um, in aerodynamics. So, you know, having these people to bring them in at the right times have played a significant role, but to get back to Paul, you know, he just said to Chelsea, he's like, you're, you need to increase your arm turnover and you need to stop kicking so much. And it was, and what was happening was basically Chelsea was over kicking when racing, fatiguing her legs that was affecting her bike and, you know, changing. I think we went from like a 75 RPM to 90 um, strokes per minute, right, Chelsea? Like that was your, that's your new race rate, like 90 strokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like high 80s, but 
after I, after I had my daughter, you know, I come from a middle distance background. So my strengths have always been like my turnover, right? Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty speedy, but since having her, it's taken a while for me to get that like turnover back in my legs and even my cadence on the bike. And I think it was with my, my swimming too, but yeah, Paul was like, even if you just bump your, um, your stroke rate right up, like a few, a few beats per minute, um, that could make a really big difference as far as how much you need to kick. Cause it'll just like put you on top of the water and you won't need to, you could just do a two beat kick. Yeah. And I think that was a big, I think that made also another big difference too. Cause after that really, I mean, that was just before Hamburg and you had a great swimming in Hamburg and that was the first time the numbers matched up. That was the very first time we'd seen the training data matched the the um, racing data, um, whereas before there was a bit of a mismatch. So I think I think that did make a, a decent difference. And also at the same time, we just we just gone through the aerodynamics as well. And um, those two things those two things happened simultaneously at the same time. And that was why you know Chelsea's biking. If you look at the data from Chelsea on the in Hamburg, her bike was amazing. I mean, Laura Phillips had probably one of the best ever bikes of a female in, a, in an Ironman and Chelsea was only a little bit behind her. And for the, basically the second half of the race, it was, the gap was the same all the way through. So um, I think that was very encouraging that from that point on, we kind of knew that Chelsea was not a, uh, a, a runner, you know, or a swim runner. Like the bike was now as good as, um, you know, the best in the world. It's a weird thing with triathlon at the moment, isn't it? And, it takes me back to a conversation I had with with Tim Reed in 2019 after Gustav Eden was doing some pretty insane bike times and and Reedy just was like saying to me he's like it doesn't make sense what I'm seeing he's he's not pushing enough power for the speed he's getting like it's it all like Reedy's just like I just don't get it it's it's too fast for the power he's pushing and and what you're saying there just sort of took me to that conversation where like to be competitive at the the like the very top end you can't have a 2010 bike position can you 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 like you just have to be so across technology and like bike position bike equipment running yeah. equipment like you you can't you can't just rely on power anymore can you i, I don't think you can have a 2017 bike position i think maybe you know like things have changed even from 2018 especially with different front ends and more custom customizable gear and kit and i think i think things have definitely changed and yeah gustav is a definitely a prime example i think i think he averaged like 300 and like less than like 290 or 300 watts in, i heard from in collins cup that that's what he averaged and it is a it is a low power you know for, for the speed but he is he also looks very good in his bike so and then chelsea we've sort of talked about everything but what about crossing that finish line like that you, like you sort of um, talked about it earlier where when you were running early uh, in the crowd, it's like, well, this isn't triathlon. Like we usually race in front of no one. Like, you know, the spectators are age groupers who came to watch and there's not many of them and it's, or it's like some age groupers, mums and dads that are there and, and you might, you know, run past 10 or 15 people. But there, there must have been like, I just can't even imagine as a triathlete uh, running through the, that, that, that finishing shoot where there's like literally hundreds, if not I don't, I don't know how many people are there. Like it looks like 2000 or something. Um, and the energy there, like, can you walk me through that from, from how it, how it felt and how it played out for you? Yeah. You know, I had spent so much of, so much of the race, just telling myself, just, one of my mantras is stay here, stay here, stay here. And I'd spent so much of 
the race telling myself to not think about what was ahead. And I really didn't let myself enjoy the moment until I hit that, that red, the red carpet. Yeah. And I actually, I, I saw a couple people that I knew, like I saw the, um, team, the CEO and, you know, team director from BMC, uh, and gave him a high five, but I just had my, I had my blinders on till the end. I kind of wish I would have like enjoyed the moment a little bit more in that, in that final, um, final minute or so. But I did like, I did walk up the ramp because I wanted to take it in and, um, gosh, like it's such a life, it's such a life highlight. Like you, we, um, work so hard and, you know, I have had, I'm sort of new to triathlon, but I've been competing at a professional level in sports since I was 23 years old. So that's like, that's 10 years of, um, my whole life revolving around my athletic dreams. And you'd never know if you're going to get your moment. Like you, you hope that you'll get your moment, but it's not a guarantee. And so like to get that moment felt, I just felt such an enormous sense of gratitude crossing the finish line. It's, it's honestly the best way that I can say thank you to the people who have invested in me. And like, I cannot tell you how many people in the last like year and a half since having my daughter just have, have said yes to helping me, you know, they just, I have so many selfless people in my life who, who are all in on this and I'm grateful to share it with them. It's uh, a few things I sort of want to touch on there, but like I, we've got to do another, another episode at some point, Chelsea, because like this is about the Ironman world championships, but I'm also fascinated about your background because I know how good a, a college runner you were. And I think people would be fascinated by your story as a whole, but we don't have three hours. We're not Joe Rogan to, to, to do it all today. So at some point I would love to get you back on and go over your story. Um, cause it's, it, it would definitely be fascinating, but, um, we were talking off air about how you'd listen to the Belinda Granger podcast that I did. And something that me and Belinda talked about was that we've never got like, we, we are in the, the strongest period in female triathlon history, particularly like long course triathlon. There is, there has never been a period where there's more strong athletes. There's been big periods where there's, you know, one or two people who can, who it seems like can win Kona, but there's not like 10 girls who can win it on their day or at least that's the feel it has at the moment and and we talked about it like imagine if we could get a race that had Daniela Reef and Lucy Charles and Anne Hag and Laura Phillip and and all of these names um on the start line and we're like oh we sort of said oh it's not going to happen though you know Lucy's injured and Daniela who knows she what she'll be doing and and Laura's been injured and so I guess what I'm what I'm going to ask is, what's it like for you not only winning the the Ironman World Championships and and being an Ironman World Champion, but doing it in the strongest field that that female Ironman has ever seen, without question, with no one missing, everyone was there, everyone was fit. Does it make it more special? Does it is it is it harder to get your head around that you're the Ironman World Champion? because you like it wasn't there wasn't anyone missing it wasn't like oh yeah but Daniela wasn't there everyone was there 100% I have so much respect for these women we're quite friendly off the race course but you know you always want to have your best day against the best people you want like if you're a competitive athlete you want to know how good you are when you're racing the best people and and like I was kind of saying before I don't think that 
the people who are close to me are surprised by my performance. Like, I think that we all knew that I was capable of this. And I, I knew deep down that I was capable of this. And I was at the level of some of these other women. I just haven't had the opportunity to show it yet. And things came together for me. You have to have a little luck on your side, but things came together for me on the right day. And um, yeah, what a magical place to do it. I think, I think like um, from day one, I mean, we tested me, I got, um, Chelsea went to the lab and was, and did lab testing when you were pregnant, right? How, how pregnant were you then? I can't remember. I think I was maybe 10 or 12 weeks pregnant. Yeah. And I was already, I was like already getting, I already had morning sickness and stuff. Yeah. 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 And we went in and tested on the bike, not max testing or anything, but yeah. But you know, we, we you tested running as well because like, we got the running economy. We did bike and run, but right. you know, from the moment that I saw, the data from you know the physiology data i i, I knew that current that it, it was always a possibility especially just because i think i mentioned in the last podcast jack is like chelsea's running economy is just off the chart amazing like it's the best i've ever i mean i've seen a lot of running economy running economy data and it's amongst the best i've ever seen like kenyan standard um running running economy so and it's just so good for I mean, and I, I think I said, you know, I always knew that Chelsea would be more suited to running good marathons and running good half marathons. Um, but I think we both felt this was always going to happen, but it just took us by surprise that it happened, you know, this year. I was, my, my kind of the long-term plan was trying to get on the podium this year and then try and go for the win net, net you know, the year after. But um, yeah, I guess um, I think um, a really good day um, sealed the deal a bit earlier on, so. And it's saying something as well, because like, as, as everyone knows, you coach Javier Gomez and, you know, like speaking of running economy, you might have like, yeah. So there's just something about, um, about like the way you coach, you just, you just make these like, cause you're a bit the same yourself. Like you're a, you're a pretty runner and like you have a, like from I, my eye tells me you have a really good running economy too, Dan. And that was like sort of what we talked about ended up winning you Kona. And it's like that, that Instagram clip I made is like you talking about that and, and literally just laying out the hey here's here's how you win Kona you did it yourself now Chelsea's done it it's um it, it's like something that people really should be taking note of I reckon yeah the, the thing about running economy is it's very hard to change unfortunately it's quite it's you know running gate and the running economy is it's quite it's quite innate of, of course you can make some differences and there's there's great system reviews on how you can improve running economy but. You know, you're not going to go for you. You never. You, it's going to be very small tweaks, right? And you're not going to go from having a bad running economy to an amazing running economy. You might make small differences. So um, I think you know Chelsea's very fortunate that she's from a running background. She's done the right training when she was younger. Her running gait is naturally very good. Same as Javi. I mean, I truly believe that Javi is. Um, he's he has not got a big VO2 max, but his running economy is out of this world good so i i also believe that he is more suited to ironman um we just need to get that get that out of him as well so um yeah we have big big goals for um 2023 i think as a as a team that's for sure uh, yeah well this is uh this is jumping me ahead a little bit uh i want to come back and ask a couple of training questions but 
winning the Ironman World Championships on debut, Chelsea, and and for you as a coach, Dan, like Dan, you're already a, like an amazingly successful coach. You know how much respect I have for you, and 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 you know the reasons why I'm continually hitting you up and saying, Dan, come on the podcast. It's because of of how good I think you are, but and and how successful you are, and uh, in, in the triathlon game. But Chelsea, for you, like you've had, you've actually had like a really good career to date in triathlon, like a super underrated career. Um, people who are fans of the sport will, will know that people who maybe are a little new to you after what you did on the weekend, they should go back and even just like check out your results page. You've done, you've already had a like quite a successful career and, and, and this isn't like super surprising that it happened. But as far as like the business side of triathlon goes, right? Like, you know, you just, you just talked about like, let's, let's organize some training camps. That's what made me think of it. How does winning the Ironman World Championships affect this from both a coach and athlete? Like triathlon's not a sport where we make lots of money uh, as triathletes or, or well, you probably make more money as a coach than you do a, a, an actual athlete a lot of the time in triathlon where, you know, a lot of American sports, you're making 20, 30, 40 million just to, just to play every year on your annual contract. Whereas as a triathlete, it can be really common that you make 10, 15, $20,000 in a, in a year of racing if you're, if you're not you know, you don't have really good sponsors and, and you have just like a sort of okay year. Um, so what's it like when you cross that line and, and in the days after when you're like, holy fuck, I've just won $125,000 for winning this. Like um, I assume like brands are suddenly all over you. I know you have already some really good, some brand, like really good brands behind you, but I'm assuming there's like new brands approaching you all the time and, and you know, like just straight away it becomes a, a business thing as well. What's that been like for you? And is it like, is it something, if you can talk to us about it, is it like, does the money just straight away become this big factor? And, you know, it's like, holy shit, I'm going to make so much in the next 12 to 24 months because of this. Uh, you know, it's all a little bit overwhelming. I think most of all, like I'm excited, I'm excited for two reasons. First of all, you know, this is how I support my family and I have a daughter and I want to make sure that her life it's really great. And this relieves a little bit, this relieves a little bit of pressure. Um, on the flip side of that, I was telling Dan, I was like, Dan, we're going to be able to do so much fun stuff. Like this is just going to give us the opportunity to get better. That's what I'm really most excited about. I'm hoping that, um, this will like enable us to spend a little bit more time training together. Cause most of our coach athlete relationship has been remote um, you know, we can hopefully dial in aerodynamics even more and, and all th those kind of things. So, um, sure. It's really exciting, but, uh, you know, you, you wake up Friday morning and you're still after the race and like, you're still the same person and I still want the same things. And I think our formula has been working really well. Um, so I guess the goal is to just keep on doing what we've been doing just a little bit better. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what I agree with on Chelsea's side is that I just think it gives us so much more opportunity to get to get better and get faster. And um, and I think that's really exciting. But I, I also think that like we're going to have to start thinking about next year and the mental game and the preparation because we've just got a whole new side of things that we need to really take care of because it's going to just be a different story from now on for Chelsea so we just need to you know make sure she keeps grounded keeps perspective keeps doing the right things to you know and almost protect her a little bit from some of 
the hype and yeah i think um but yeah it's definitely exciting you know we can different you know we can have more choices of the right equipment and um training camps and the rest of it and of course like um, I, I get to be the best training partner for Chelsea as well. So I get come as a double whammy, a coach and a training partner. So <laughs> it's really funny, Dan. Like, um, I've had multiple messages from people saying that they've signed up to Endure IQ. Like, I'm not even joking. People are just messaging me and, and tell me that, which is like, I'm like, just because you came on the podcast, they're telling me. So, what's it like for you as as the coach of a world champion now? Have you? Are you just being overwhelmed with messages of people wanting to to be coached by you, and and you know, are you uh, are like your subscription numbers going up? What, are you getting um, maybe not even formal inquiries? Are you just getting overwhelmed with messages about coaching and uh, from athletes? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely gone up for sure. And I know you're always so kind saying that um, you know you think I'm one of the best coaches, but I just I really didn't think I don't I really don't think that, and I and I. And I really think that when I look at my CV compared to like Olaf's or um, down the rang, you know, I don't, I don't have the world champions and I, and I, and I'm just so, and I think this was the final, like the icing on the cake. Cause I had a lot of things stacked up, but I didn't have the pro winning a world championships. Right. So I feel that now, you know, with the scientific background and the publications and, you know, even having done it myself and now, you know, Chelsea, um, you know, it's, it's really kind of closed the loop a little bit and that's obviously is out you know there's a there's a great book called Malcolm Malcolm by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers and it's the timing of everything and it's like everything has to be stacked before one thing happens to make it be really good I mean if I was just an, like you know if I hadn't done all the things I've done before me in Chelsea when it wouldn't have the same effect but yeah it definitely it's definitely been um very very positive so um so yeah I'm, I just have to um you know, my, my priority is always my pros, you know, they, they, um, and I always want to keep that because as the business grows and grows, I don't want to be in the position where they're not, they're not my priority. And, um, and if I had the choice, I, I get so much satisfaction out of um, coaching. I get so much satisfaction, especially out of coaching pros and I get a lot of satisfaction, satisfaction out of doing the research. And I just want to, you know, as much as, we talked about Chelsea staying grounded, doing, you know, not getting involved in the hype. I, I don't want, I want to manage my business and I want it to be successful, of course, but I, I never want it to take away from the individualization that I can give to and the closeness in relationship that I can give to pros. I never, I always want to be available for a call. You know, Chelsea can call me any way she likes. I never want to be too busy for that. So that's the kind of, that's the kind of perspective that I want to keep moving forward as well. And then just the, the few training questions I, I wanted to to ask sort of before we, we start to wrap things up. Um, you've obviously talked about like some of the key sessions you did, you know, that tempo run that, that week of three weeks out where you, you did quite a bit of running. Was this build into Kona, right, for this particular race, was there like a, was there a specific time where you guys went, okay, now everything for, for this eight to 10 weeks is, is Kona and it's all about that or is it, is it not really how it played out? And and like you've, you, you sort of, Chelsea, you've touched on how things just started to go right and, and everything sort of started falling into, into place where it hadn't really ever happened before. Um, was, that, was that for the entire like block leading to Kona? How, how far into Kona was that? And then on that, like are you guys as an athlete and coach, are you communicating those feelings like as it's happening in real time? Are you being like, 
oh, I've just nailed that session again. And, and then like you're messaging Dan or calling Dan being like, how fucking good's this? And, and then it flows on and it flows on and it flows on. And, and, and like, therefore you knew you were going to have a good race. I think that there was a lot of, un- well, for me, there was a lot of unknown going into this. Um, we probably started the build when I went to Ponte Vedra, right? It was after, I mean, it was really after Hamburg, really, because we took some, okay. I mean, that's when everything started, like, because once Hamburg was done, we knew you had the Kona slot and then the plan was in place for that. It was, you know, obviously recovering from the Ironman. Um, we, we, we completely trained through Collins Cup. You know, Chelsea's, this is, this is typical, typical athlete, athlete talking to an athlete is like, don't worry, Dan, I don't care about Collins Cup. Just don't worry about it. I just need to go there and do it. You know, we we focus on Kona, so let's train through it. So, you know, pretty much you did a three-hour ride and a 75-minute run the week off. So, you know, because that's what I, it's eight weeks from Kona at that point. So it's it's absolute crunch time. Um, and of course, yeah. the reality of the situation, Chelsea was devastated after that. I'm like totally devastated after <laughs> Collins Cup, like questioning all of my life choices. I get the flu. I get the flu flying back from the Collins cup. Yeah. I think that the world is over like Dan and Steve basically have to force me on the plane to go to, to go to my training camp, yeah. uh, my like last Kona training camp. So yeah, I mean, things did not go perfect the whole, the whole block, but I would say it went as like the best it's gone since we started working together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so to answer the question that, yeah, we, we basically that started the build. We trained for Collins cup. We definitely, we aimed at Edmonton. That was, you know, we, we specifically did some prep for that because, you know, we wanted to do well. And I think it was a really good, it was very, very important in the grand scheme of things because that was the point that gave Chelsea a lot more confidence, realized you could compete with the rest of the best in the world. So I think that was actually a critical point in the journey to Kona. I think if that race hadn't had happened as he hadn't had a good race there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be very good. Um, but even like, I don't remember this Chelsea, but remember at the end of, um, um the first was it the first week of of the Kona camp and you were like oh this is terrible this is so shit I don't know what <laughs> I'm gonna do and I'm like Chelsea what is bad about the week you've just done you've just done this much training you've just done all these sessions you, you've done amazing and she's like no it's terrible <laughs> I was like nah so these are it's uh it's the ups and it's it's always looking back in in hindsight and retrospectively it's always um it's funny eh, the conversations you have but um yeah yeah we we um communicate a lot I think that for me I'm a pretty emotional athlete I think that it's often you know my head that can get in my way and so that like our relationship and how positive that is is critical critical to this whole thing like yeah a, a yeah. bit of a bit of a funny a funny story for you, Jack and the, and the listeners. Um, when Chelsea was in, there was a time when you were in Europe and I was in New Zealand, right? And we were the communication really was difficult because um, because obviously the big time difference, right? And, and Chelsea said, "I don't know how you do it with Yavi and Yan." And I was like, "Well, Chelsea, I don't speak to them as much as I speak to you." <laughs> <laughs> So, so there you go but I mean and that's not through that's not be, it's just because it's just the way it's not by design or anything it's just the way the way it goes um you know um they're, they're just very men of few words both of them so um it's just the way it is but yeah it's, it's um it's good and so now going into next year right where 
Chelsea's going to be the defending Ironman world champion, which is like super surreal. And I don't know how that sounds hearing that still Chelsea, it's probably still fucking surreal. Um, how will you go about your, your training? Like, is it, is it sort of, is it tough because you, you go, well, I just won the Ironman world championships and I dominated. Like I literally dominated that race. It was, it was, it was like, it wasn't even close in the end and all due respect to your your competition, Chelsea, I can say that on your behalf, you dominated that race. So do you guys go, well, let's just try and replicate exactly what happened last time. And and can you fall into the trap of, of trying to copy that or, or, or like, you know, cause you have that blueprint now or, Will you uh, do you not operate like that as a coach and an athlete where it just you next year is a new year you don't even really think about what you've done in the lead up to this you just you, and it's an entirely new plan. I mean, I think there's a, a few things to unpick with that, Jack. I mean, I fully i I think like re if you have a formula that works and you know it's it's a good one. I think it's the gift that keeps on giving. And I reckon coaches who rewrite and do different things, it's a massive mistake. I mean, my experience with, um, I work with, um, I, I'm the physiologist for the women's kayak program. And one of the athletes is Lisa Carrington, who's like five times Olympic gold medalist in the women's kayak. And, you know, having seen her evolve over, you know, that's a lot of years for Olympics, you know, to go to that many Olympics, she won a first um, Olympic medal in um, London, she just won another one, won three more in Tokyo. And I've been involved and seen that program for so long. And, and it's just small tweaks on a working formula. And you just cannot completely change the recipe. It's just about adding a little bit of salt, adding a little bit of spice here and there. And that's, that's what's really important. And then, um, and continuously measuring and understanding the performance gap. So one of the first things we'll do is just get Chelsea back in the lab, you know, have a, obviously give her a break first. I think that's one of the first things we'll do, but, you know, get her back in the lab, take a look at the data and, and see where we, we need to take certain things. And, um, but we, there's no way, there's so many things that I think have been a winning formula and, and it will just be, you know, adding a bit of spice to the winning fo- to the formula that we've got at the moment, and definitely not rechanging and re- reinventing things for sure. Consistency is key. And then, um, I mean, like, yeah, I, I'm so aware of taking up all your time, but I could ask a hundred more questions. Um, I mean, where to from now? What does what does like what does is that racing done for the year after this after this rest, rest period, or do you go straight away and and start setting? Because like obviously Kona next year is going to be the main goal, but like how how is it when you win a race like this, which is like a lifetime goal? Is it is it really hard to then be like, oh well, now I want to go and do this small seventy point three or this small Ironman? Is it like like how do you how do you set that next goal and and just start building back up? Well, we we haven't really talked about <laughs> we haven't really talked too much about. Uh, the rest of this year yet yeah I think we both just wanted to take this week to enjoy things and like celebrate the moment with the people who've been part of it and um we'll have some conversations soon about how we want to uh take on the rest of the year and and next year really do you have any any ideas can you give us like a, a little scoop here have you guys thought about it have you thought about it Dan um not really I, I, um I mean I think getting Chelsea out of the winter in Reno would be a good idea, but we haven't, like I said, I haven't, we haven't really talked about anything yet. Um, 
I think it's just, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, we're in a very fortunate position that we can do whatever we like because we don't have to qualify for Kona. So, you know, that that leaves a lot more opportunities to doing races that maybe Chelsea wouldn't have done or, you know, maybe Challenge Roth, for example, that, you, you know, is not a non-Ironman event, might you know, be very, very well received and it's got high prestige, right? So there's there's a few options out there. and um, But like, like I said, we just haven't talked about it because I think um, you can't let these moments pass, right? And if you start planning too soon, what, you know, you need to really you make the most of what what's happening right now and the we have time right and um so we haven't really haven't really planned and um, can i ask like a couple of sort of just quick fire questions that aren't really related to to chelsea's race of, of both of you um starting with what did you guys both think of the men's race it was exciting it was exciting racing out there um i'm a total fan of the sport so it was it was, yeah, cool to see it go down. I was super chilled and relaxed, so that was fun. Uh, it was fun to go first and and get to take in, take in the race, yeah. Yeah, I mean, from for my side, I was, I was really blown away. Like, I never expected those times to, to be so fast. Like, you know, Max Newman, seven minutes quicker than Fredino's record and comes fourth. Like, it's just out of this world. Um, Kinlay, 755. Blown, blue, it's all mind-blowing, really, really mind-blowing. So, um, yeah, and, and just um, some shock performances in there as well. But, um, yeah, it was it was just, I think the whole thing stepped up another level, right? And um, it's just that uh, I think it's really become much more of a professional sport over the last few few years. And, and yeah. Um, and it's good to see the scientific method of coaching actually winning out as well. That's what I liked. You know, if you look at if you look at the um, the coaches of the winners, you've got Dan Lerang, Olaf, me. Uh, I'm not sure how scientific Richard Laidlow is, um, the coach of Sam Laidlow, but at least me, me, Olaf, and Dan, we're very scientific in our approach. And I think you know, in past coaches in the past have not been that way. You know, it's just been very you know, almost talking bad of the scientific method, saying that it's a load of crap. And I'm I'm just pleased to show that when when things like that are happening, it clearly is um, you know, it's the it's the best way to train. It's not guesswork. And that's why I think it, it works and people are doing well. It's because it's not, I mean, yes, non-scientific method works for coaching, but I think a lot of it's luck a lot of the time. And I think that's why we're just seeing more consistent performances. And that's what I also liked about seeing that with the men's race. Which takes me into my my next question about like the future of triathlon or the current state of professional triathlon. Where um, it was like a it was a real funny running joke in the lead up to Kona, where like lactate testing was just it was a bit out of control. Like there was um, I I got like I saw some photos of of um, out on the Queen K where there was like this group of like fifty age groupers and they were all getting lactate like they were all doing doing lactate testing um in the in the week leading up and and you know you were hearing reports and and seeing vision of of heaps of age groupers using lactate and we all know like there was barely a pro out in that field who who didn't have blood dripping off their ear doing their their bike rides and runs in the in the week building up um and then like we've talked about the bike positioning and how you really to be competitive at, at the professional level now in world championship races you just have to have an elite bike position that you've spent heaps of time on in these um, and technology is at the forefront of. So 
being being the scientist that you are, Dan, and like the brilliant scientist that you are, and 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 that and that's sort of your your core more than even being a coach. Where is triathlon going? Like, where are the next innovations? You know, lactate's the big thing at the moment. Is are people just going to lean even more into that? And 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 there won't be a professional who starts at Kona next year who isn't using lactate in their in their daily training. Is there other things that are happening? Like, where's the the next bit of technology? Like we saw Gustav's running shoes on the on the weekend that were prototypes that no one else had access to. Yeah, what's where do you see the the next thing being and and like the next bit of of scientific growth and, and technological growth in the sport. Yeah, the, the lactate thing is a real bug of mine. I, I just think, um, I think if you ask half the coaches what a lactate is and where it comes from, they probably won't be able to answer the question. You know, it's just like, it's just, it, 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 it's, um, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm sure like the Norwegians are using it very well, but I think um, most of most of the people who are doing doing it just have really not that much clue about what it's actually telling you and how I mean it and what it actually means and the technical error of measure of estimate with it and there's so many I wrote a, I wrote a blog on it actually because often I get all hyped up by these things so the only way I can get it off the system is to write about it but um I mean I think the the way things are, are coming is um I mean we do already doing a bit of this um ourselves is um integration of data and probably neural networks and machine learning. Individualization of data for that person is, I think we're past like studies now, looking at how things affect people on a, you know, end of, you know, we do N16 in the study and we say, oh, this affects people in some ways. I just think we're getting much more into individualization of data and pulling together multiple um, tools, whether it's VO2, glucose, HRV, the training, the power, and seeing how all these things interact. So for example, I might, I could pull, I mean, we're actually, I've actually done a bit of this work already, is like pulling like strings of years and years of HRV and training data and saying, okay, you know, this athlete responds better to low intensity training, you know, high, the high intensity training, it will generally suppress HRV for two to three days. The sleep that they'd had five or six days ago is, is what's really affecting them on race day. Carbohydrates before exercise seem to be worse for this person. Carbohydrates after exercise seem to be better for this person. You know, my PhD student is actually done a lot of stuff in this stuff in this already. And I have another PhD student who's just starting, who has already looked at for us some training and HRV data. So and I think that individualization of data and understanding what affects people on an individual level using Big data sets and machine learning neural networks is the um, is the future. Can you can you, again like this is probably a, a whole other episode where we could talk about lactate, but um, I, I find that really interesting. What you've said that that probably no one even knows what lactate is in the body or how it gets there and what its role is and and all that kind of stuff. Can you talk to me about if you are going to use lactate, how you should actually use it? Like, what are people actually trying to achieve when they when they take lactate, and and what is the way that you should be using it? Yeah, well, I think you need you need um, very solid baseline levels. So you need to have tested someone in the conditions that you're concerned with. So if you're if you're like if you have no baseline, you just go out to Kona and you take a lactate at X number of watts. And you don't know what it's normally like in those sorts of conditions, um, then it's a meaningless number, right? You can't compare 
um, a lab-based temperate controlled lactate at 200 watts to, to what it is going to be in the um, in those heat conditions in the hotter conditions, right? It needs to, you need to be you need to. That's why you always see the the um, the Norwegians. They've always got a weather meter with them. They're always looking at the temperature. They're always looking at the um, the climate and the environment because they're just so important and they're actually pairing it with other data at the same time. So I think just taking a lactate at one time and he goes, oh, look, it's two. One is it could be, the environment could be completely different to what you normally compare it with. And also two for one person, it's just the same as heart rate. Two for one person can mean, can be different for another person. You know, like if someone has a very, very low level of lactate generally, um, yeah, it, it just means different things. And it's all about um, metabolism. It's knowing what you're trying to achieve with that session. So you can't, unless you really understand metabolism and you understand um, what you want to get out of the session, I, th I feel like most people just take a lactate meaninglessly and go, oh, that's good, it's low. But often you actually don't want it to be low. You want it to be a certain number to achieve a certain result. And uh, that's that's what I think people don't really get. They're just taking it and thinking a lower number is better when it's actually it's actually not the case all the time. It depends on what you're trying to achieve with the session. That's awesome. I like, I'm actually, next time we do an episode, like we should do this, Dan, next time we do an episode where we just like list five or six, like really big things in triathlon that everyone uses, like whether it's power meter or, or HRV or lactate. And we just go over them. Like, let's do like a real nerdy deep dive sciencey episode at some point, because I have 15 more questions I want to ask you, but I'm not going to sit here yeah, and, yeah. and, and make you make you do it now the good thing about i mean it's an we always say when it comes to monitoring we have the extrinsic measure and the intrinsic measure so the extrinsic measure being power pace the intrinsic measure being some some form of physiology we we i mean as chelsea knows i use that a lot but i just use heart rate more than lactate it's the exact same thing i'm you know if i could use lactate as well as heart rate i would but um you get a lot out of heart rate and what i find amazing is that over the years, since power and pace has become more and more popular, people have stopped wearing heart rate monitors. It's just crazy to me. How can you not wear a heart rate monitor if you're an Ironman triathlete? It is the biggest tool you can have. It's Ironman is not about doing things faster. It's about doing things easier. And the, and the heart rate monitor is your best tool. It's way easier, more environmentally friendly. You don't have to stop during your sessions. Um, so I think, um, I mean, uh, we, we rely on heart rate a lot, don't we, Chelsea, with the training? We do. <laughs> Chelsea, you're just sitting back like me, listening to the the Dan Plews lecture. No, you know, the really like the really great thing for me is there are certain there are a lot of things that I have to take ownership right of in my career, but I also have a lot on my plate. Um and I really am so lucky that I have so much trust in Dan because oftentimes I I mean he has a long-term vision and I trust that he is doing what's in my best interest. And I can just show up each day and execute the plan as best as possible. Um, and we're off. So, uh, yeah, it's great when you work with someone who is so smart. Yeah. This is, this is a, like a big question I have for you, Chelsea, actually is like, there's so many world-class coaches out there who have great results. And like Dan sort of alluded to quite modestly, we, I'm not going to go on a ball cup him anymore, but <laughs> Dan is brilliant. And one of the best coaches in triathlon, even if he denies that, um, you have like Dan Larang who has Annie Haug and Lucy Charles and Jan Fredino and, you know, you have Brett Sutton who has 
more Ironman World Championships than than any other coach on on the planet, or you have um, you know you, you have the Norwegians coaches, or you know America has a lot of like federational coaches um, that that are pretty good and have good results. But what led you to Dan, and how did you how did you decide that Dan was the coach for you? Yeah, you know I. I'm 33. I've had a lot of coaches throughout my career, both in running and triathlon. And I think that, um, I really found Dan at the perfect time. Uh, obviously like Dan has the chops. He's really bright. He's a scientist. Like he knows his stuff. Um, but more than anything, he's just a really good person. Like Dan took me on when I was six weeks pregnant. He did not have to do that. He's a dad himself. So I think he really understands what I've been going through the last, since I, um, got pregnant like what I've been, you know, going through as far as like physically and mentally. And uh, he's been super patient with me. Like, I don't think that there are a lot of coaches, especially male coaches who, um, would have been so committed to this project. And so, yeah, I feel really, I feel really, really fortunate. I think he is one of the best coaches in the world. Um, yeah, I'm like a little surprised. I'm, I was a little surprised that he he took me on, but so grateful. And um, I think that this this like win is such a testament to our investment in each other and how much belief we have in each other and how committed we are to this project. And I reckon that's like a, a pretty good note to end it on. Um, this chat was awesome. Like I, I just have so many more questions I want to ask both of you, but I don't want to become a three-hour podcast. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like if both of you want to come back on at some point, I literally am going to write down questions I have for both of you based on this. And and next time I get both of you on, like I just want to ask them. Like you guys are are both fascinating. Um, like I've like I've said multiple times, I'm a huge fan of Dan. I'm I'm also a huge fan of you, Chelsea, and maybe a little bit. I I under I think I underestimated you, which is it's not something I usually do very often. Like I'm pretty like on top of what's happening in triathlon and watch a lot of races. And like, for example, I, I watched, uh, I watched, I watched, well, I didn't watch, I tracked Hamburg and, and I watched um, the Canadian open and both times in those races, I sort of went, like said to myself, like, oh, Chelsea's like, she's, she's racing well here, but I never then made the jump or the connection that, oh, Chelsea could win the Ironman world championships. I was at, like, I was positive you could come second or third. I just, for some reason, I just, it never, crossed my mind that you would be an Ironman world champion this year. I thought maybe down the line and I think, don't know how much of that was, was Dan, you know, putting the podium idea in my head, but like, it's just amazing to see what you did. I'm like still mind blown by your performance. Like, like I put up an Instagram story the other day, that was like the men's race took over the chat, but I don't want people to forget how dominant your race was. And like, you were the performance of, of the Ironman world championships. There wasn't a close second. Like, your performance was the best performance of the weekend across both the men's and women's races. And like, I'm extremely uh, honored and, and grateful that you've come on to chat about it. You're, you're, you're like, your performance was mind blowing. And, and, and I want you to know that I know that and I'll never doubt you again. And I hope no one else does. And, <laughs> and I can't wait for next year for, for people to be talking about you as the favorite going into the race and, and seeing how you deal with that pressure and, and, uh, and seeing if you can replicate it again next year. Thanks, Jack. You know, uh, in my house, we talk about how it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people are talking about you before the race. What matters is if they're talking about you after the race. And um, I just, you know, this is a small operate. This is a small operation. And I just have the best few people on my team. Like, 
I just, I'm so lucky. I'm really so lucky that, um, yeah, the people close to me support me through it all. And it's cool. This is really cool. And to you, Dan, well done, mate. I've said it to you a thousand times over messages already. And, and, uh, and I know from, from what you've said to me, how excited you were, and it's really clear now it couldn't have happened to a better bloke. So yeah, you, um, you deserve all the, the success you've had. It's, it's, it's bloody awesome. I'm so happy for you. Cheers, man. But it, you know, as I always say, it's easy to just get on today's plan and put a few sessions in there. It's the hardest thing is getting out there and doing it right. So, um, but, um, yeah, but, but so having said that, I did do some of those sessions in Ponte Vedra with Chelsea. So I, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew she was on when I could barely keep up with her on this run off the bike we did. I was like, woof, that's, um, that's hot. <laughs> I was I was looking at it. I thought you looked pretty fit, Dan. I was wondering whether maybe you had a little a little race. Like I was wondering, I, was, I sort of thought to myself, is Dan going to go do Ironman New Zealand here? What's he What's he playing at? Hey, watch this space. There might be an announcement pretty soon. Really? <laughs> maybe. Watch this space. Watch what this space. Announce it here. <laughs> no, uh, well, okay, I can't. Well, the sub eight. No, sub no, no, eight. no, no, no. No, well, I am going to do. I'm going to do Ironman New Zealand in December. I thought so. You are? That. Yeah. Well, it's, it's all oh, your fault, Chelsea. I'm not gonna hear for I'm not gonna hear from Dan for like weeks now because he's <laughs> too busy on his race. I was like, no, well the thing is I, I, I got all motivated after the race and I was like, you know, I'm turning 40 in a very few days time. <laughs> however many days it is, this thing is like five or six days. No, six days time. And um and I thought, oh, it'd be good to do um, I got all motivated after the race. I thought, oh, it'd be good to do an Ironman. That'd be kind of a nice thing to do around my 40th. And then, um, so I emailed, the race was full. I emailed Ironman. I thought, you know, I'd never get in. And they were like, they were all fizzing after Chelsea. So they obviously, they said, oh, yeah, we'll open a slot for you. And <laughs> they're already getting in the back doors. Literally. He's he's taking your clout, Chelsea, as the kids would say. Like he's uh, <laughs> oh, he's, he's just going to sit on his. Classic. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm like, oh. I best get. I best do some training in. Um, I best do some training. Yeah, get um, two two months to get fit, basically. So, do the roles reverse now? Does Does Chelsea coach you? Does she write your programs in the lead up to New Zealand? <laughs> He's gonna be crying, calling me crying after his long session. <laughs> I'm here for you, Dan. Yeah, I've got all the moral yeah. support. I'll just, I'll just use her as a counselor. As that, I'll I'll write the, I'll do the own, my own training, but use Chelsea for counselling. It is funny though, isn't it? As an athlete, like your coach is literally your counselor. So you've probably been that for Chelsea as well as her family. So yeah, it's, it's about time the roles got reversed. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how we go. My, my plan is that I can do that and then I can have a nice break over Christmas and then maybe, um, yeah, I, 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 I have this plan to, I do really want to do an Ironman on a fast course. Well, that's not, that's not um, New Zealand. Because you know, it's only a matter of time before Chelsea goes faster than 824 and then she's going to have a faster time than me on a, on a course. So I need to make sure it get, you know, that benchmark gets a little bit further out away from her, you know, so she can't get it. Well, there really is no <laughs> fast courses around for you, is there? Like you could come over and do Busso, but in like the Asia Pacific area, there's not a single fast course. You'd have to go to Europe or America. Yeah. I mean, Busso is hit and miss as well, right? Because it's, um, it can be really hot. So we'll see. I'm, I'm very keen on Hamburg to be honest, because that was, um, that is, a- no, I was talking to the race. I was talking to the race director for us oh, really? the other day. So is yeah. there, is there a, is there going to be a women's pro? I think there may be. Mm, well, we can talk about this. So <laughs> yeah. Dan's going to send an email and get, 
get a backdoor entry again. Give away all our secrets and plans on your podcast. <laughs> it's about time someone started giving me some scoops. Yeah, well, you need to get the Norwegians on and get the, see if you can get any. Well, yeah, I listened to you on with Mikael. He he held his um, cards very close to his chest as well. Oh, Dan, like I have questions I want to ask you and I don't know whether to ask them on or off air about this, um, about I'm going to ask you on air. Like you don't have to answer. This can be a professional courtesy thing, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I've, I actually have said to my girlfriend, I'm going to ask Dan this. Uh, Mikel has taken on Lionel and Rudy and Colin and no one had good races on the weekend and, then on his podcast with me, I'm like, does Mikel know what he's talking about or is he just giving me donuts here? Because like I know the Norwegians are like highly scientific in how they go about it. But And I was like, is he just keeping everything from me? Because I was just like trying to ask question after question and he was just giving me nothing, was he? He was just like... Yeah, yeah. He was, was, I was super interested in that podcast because I, I mean, obviously he's, he's done very well and I was like, what is he, this guy? What's he doing? You know, like Especially after calling um, Shatia when the you know, the Texas, well, not Texas, Dallas Open. Dallas, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was like, wow. Um, yeah, I was disappointed. I was, I was hoping he was going to give a few little secrets away, but there was nothing. Yeah, well, I'm talking to um, Olav Alexander Boo next week or the week <laughs> after. So I'm going to try again, but we might find a, a, another situation where I just talk for 90 minutes and ask the same four questions on repeat and get no answers the whole time. <laughs> yeah all right man cool well, right. thanks for having us on eh? nah my pleasure well well done again chelsea well done thanks, Dan. Zach. you're both legends thanks so much for coming on yeah, thanks for having us this episode was brought to you by pillar performance like i said i use pillar performance products daily now and i love them so if you want to try them for yourself or you just want to restock if you already use them head to pillarperformance.shop and remember that while you're there use my code htt10 which gets you $10 off your first order. That's code HTT10, which gets you $10 off your first order.